0: Ladies and gentlemen, here is the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News.
1: This is Macabre Grimoire with Airy Show, Travis Nye, and Robert May
2: Welcome to Macabre Grimoire, Chapter 7, Chung Ling Su, aka William Robinson.
3: A sordid tale of magic and deception.
2: Oh man. I love this guy. He's such a it's such a crazy story. Cause he's like. Okay, so do you wanna do you have anything that you wanna go into first? Because usually you do the history, but
3: uh, you know you really really like this guy. I I will just fill in some gaps for okay. some anecdotes, but go ahead and jump in
2: there. <laughs> I will. All right. So I first heard about this guy when I was watching this program on Netflix called Mysteries at the Museum. I'm pretty sure it's on regular TV, but I don't have regular TV. I just have Netflix. Anyways, that's a side tangent, but um this they start talking about this poster and about how it's this east this like Magician from um, the East he's from Asia or China China or whatever, and he doesn't speak any English and his shows are like super mysterious and um, he had like this you know this great following in the United States because people were so intrigued by his magic and the fact that he never once spoke English at all and so um, his death was really mysterious because he was shot and killed during one of his shows and so after he, so what happened is um, he does this bullet trick where he's supposed to catch this bullet as, it's being, as the gun is being fired at him. And he's very successful with this trick. And everybody loves seeing this trick because this is like the star part of his show. Well, he gets shot and all of a sudden he says oh dear god something went wrong and now the audience is all like the fuck he speaks english and then he collapses <laughs> and then they basically like end the show and then he ends up dying like a few hours later well come to find out the the person who shot him was his assistant but she's always shot him during his shows like this is part of their act so she shoots him with the gun. The gun actually fires the bullet. It's supposed to fire a blank, but it actually fires the bullet that he loads the gun with. Because you always load the gun, you always load the gun with the bullet for the audience's purposes. But really, it's just firing a blank because it's like a secret chamber, like a second chamber in the gun. And so the bullet fires off, shoots him. He gets shot through the chest. He ends up dying. Well, now the investigators are like, "Okay, lady, got it. Better start talking." And she's. So then they find out that he's actually American. His actual name is William Robinson. He's not Asian. And even though, like, he cut his hair, he grew it out, like, he, like, went, like, to the full, like, nine yards to look as Asian as possible. So people were, like, surprised when they found out that he wasn't um, Chinese. I mean, he even had a Chinese interpreter with him while he would kind of speak, like, broken Chinese. But, and, like, the reporters didn't know because they don't speak Chinese, you know? It's such a a Uh, bizarre thing. My
3: favorite anecdote about that with the reporter is that... uh... So, he didn't have a Chinese translator. He had a Japanese man who yes. basically would pretend to, like, interpret and understand what he was saying. <laughs> yes. So, basically, he'd say gibberish. Yep. And then the, uh...
2: The Japanese... Or the the, the quote-unquote Chinese translator. Yeah,
3: the Chinese translator, that's the Japanese guy, would come up with, like, some kind of, like, he says he's very honored by this gift. <laughs> yes. And then when he translate something for chung lee mm-hmm. quote unquote he would just speak in japanese to him and he'd nod like he knew what that meant but he'd heard the english and knew what that meant exactly
2: so like, you know I mean? <laughs> exactly oh my god it's such a beautiful thing anyways so they so they investigate the assistant well turns out the assistant is his is his wife aka first mistress and that he actually has another mistress a much younger one who gave birth to a child just recently So now it's like, okay, why did you shoot and kill your husband? And she's like, I didn't. So they had to investigate. Turns out the gun was actually, um, because I don't think they had cleaned the gun um, very well in between shows, and enough gunpowder had filled up in the chamber, so then when she did fire it, it actually fired off the live bullet, which ended up, you know, killing him. And they deemed it the whole thing just a freak accident. But what a wild ride and like what a wild like scenario to be like you're at this show and you think this guy is like fully on asian and all of a sudden he's just like oh dear god and you're like whoa english what and then oh my god he's dead like oh so
3: so it's funny you bring up his relationship because uh, yes what i mean everything about this guy is just like you know like Honestly, I had forgotten the whole part about he died doing a bullet catch, because that's like the least interesting thing about it him. It is. And that's an amazing story in and of itself. <laughs> right. Uh,
0: he was actually the uh, the fourth magician to ever die doing the bullet catch. Oh, wow. Yeah, the first person to ever die doing a bullet catch was actually a female magician in like the 1800s. Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. Dang. So who's like the second, third? I actually have it. I can,
0: I can tell you names if you'd like to know names. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would. Okay, cool. Uh, so, the first person who did it was Madame Delinsky, and she died in 1820. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, way back. Due to lead mm-hmm. poisoning.
1: Oof. Ooh.
0: Uh, bullet catch. Right. Bullet, yeah. Mental yeah. floss. Sure. <clears throat> um, Arnold Buck in 1840, Professor Adam Epstein in 1869, and then our Chungling Su in, eight, in 1918.
2: It's so interesting that each one's, like, about, like, 20 to, like, 40 years yeah. apart. Like, it's always, like, an even-numbered y- amount of years.
0: It's like the next generation, like, yeah. well, maybe they did it wrong. Like, I'm yep. going to go for it. Yeah,
2: maybe.
3: I- I've got to be smarter than those
2: assholes. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right, yeah.
0: <laughs> Which, if you've watched um, The Illusionist.
3: Yeah. Okay. Or, no, no, uh, uh, The Prestige is the one that has the... Uh, the where they talk about the bullet catch. Mm.
0: Okay. What, what I? No, I am thinking of... Um, maybe it's the Houdini movie that came out on the History Channel. Okay. Because they actually load um, the gun,
1: mm-hmm. his
0: assistant does, but it shows that the uh, they used a steel bullet... And so the rod that they'd used to pack the wadding and everything had a magnet on it, it. would actually retract that steel ball.
2: Oh, cool. So it was
0: actually a real gun, really loaded. The audience right. would drop it in there. And when they'd pull the plunger out, it, it'd extract the ball or the bullet yep. with it. makes sense. Yeah. And so th- there's been a lot of different variations. And I'm sure it's a lot of people being like, oh, this guy died because he did it this way. Now let's die this way.
2: Right, right, right. So Yeah, like
3: <clears throat> bringing up uh, uh, the Prestige, the... Uh, I I always thought that was super interesting because I knew about how bullet catches are like super dangerous and deadly and stuff. Yeah. But the whole like, that's actually a thing that happened where, you know, where Hugh Jackman shows up for the bullet catch. Yeah. And the the magicians are even like, I don't like doing it because it's super dangerous, but it's like good money because people are like, no, people die doing it. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, the, so what did he do in the movie? He put like a coin or something in the, he put something hard. Yeah. in In the. uh, chamber after the whole magnet pulling the yep, the yep, bullet yep.
0: out. Okay, so it was that movie that he did the magnet. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. The oh. uh, it's funny though because like even uh, David Blaine does the bullet catch now.
2: Yeah, Dominic oh. was mentioning that. Yeah,
0: so if you haven't seen it you need to look it up where he actually has like a a mouthpiece designed for his mouth with a steel cup that he puts in there. And they've done, like, high-speed slow-motion video of a twenty two rifle, an Olympic rifle, that's super accurate, on what? a tripod. Shoot, and you see the slow-motion bullet going into the cup, and the cup, like, gets wedged in the back of his throat and oh. actually catches the bullet. So Penn, uh, from, of Penn and Teller, went on this huge tangent, basically saying every bad name about David Blaine possible, saying, How dare you... Do this stunt because you're going to have a whole new generation wanting to try it, whether yeah. it is real or not. Right. You have just sold this to be a real stunt that but is
3: actually possible. I was just about to possible. bring up the Penn and Teller. Part of their claim to fame is their very good bullet catch trick.
2: Yeah. Right. But it's but you still, don't watch
3: it like the bullet fly in slow motion. Right.
0: Color. Exactly. So he has like a whole science team of high speed cameras where Penn and Teller perform it. But they have, like, an extremely high disclaimer thing, and it's just magic, and yep. they, after David Blaine, like, blew up because of this, uh, they basically came out and said, ours is just a trick, um, as to where David Blaine is trying to pull it off as it's a real proven, science proven... dangerous dangerous. Oh,
2: that yeah. makes me so nervous.
0: So, I don't know if David Blaine actually really does it, the way that it's... Sure shown in his series mm-hmm. in like the slow motion like i believe it would be sure but i don't know for sure
2: cuz dominic said like he thought he had like basically shot himself in the face and like broken some teeth or something but uh oh.
0: the first time he did it, the dentist who made the mouthpiece for him didn't make it strong enough oh. and it, the mouthpiece actually busted and that's when the cup got lodged like clear to the back of his throat okay so that's and it what he's cut talking the roof of his mouth and like his tonsil area and
2: stuff uh. And he still did it again. Yeah, he's
0: done it like two or three times, and he just did his uh, tour where he was actually going to do it live on stage, but his stage crew said that if you're going to do it, we're not going to be in your show. Yeah. Which could have been a publicity stunt to make it seem like Possibly. it's real. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, it makes you wonder, like, is it real?
3: It's yeah. funny how much, with magicians, how much it's just pure Bullshit. Sun Tzu psychological <laughs> warfare kind yeah. of stuff. like. Yeah. You know, like the... Uh, you know, anyone with weak constitutions should leave the theater now. Well, and, that's neat. Because <laughs> it's getting in the vaudeville era, and then the like gimmicks, like Sun Tzu, and then or Chung Li, and uh-huh. then uh, uh, like in the Prestige again, referencing my only point of data on magicians, <laughs> right. practically, Uh the part where he has a bunch of he has nothing but blind stage hands, right? And Hugh Jackman sees that and assumes that. That's totally just like a, a gimmick or whatever. It's like, oh, that's a brilliant gimmick. Yeah. To just have all blind stagehands just to build hype about. Yeah. It's like his secrets are so dark and so secret. Oh yeah. God. Not, not even his crew knows. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God.
2: That's funny. I need to see that.
0: Yeah. It's pretty good.
2: Cool. So we were talking about his relationship. We're talking about William Robinson's relationships.
3: Yes. So g- digging into that. Uh, so we got married. When he was 21, he married a 16-year-old named uh, Bessie Smith in 1883. Hashtag gross. Hashtag hashtag no kidding, but that was the times. Yep. Uh, But, yeah, okay, and he had two children with her, I believe.
2: Yeah, but here's the weird part. Their son, they're like, "Eh, he doesn't get along with the family, so they put him up for adoption. (laughs) Like, what?
3: I was just listening to the companion book the guy that does Aaron Mankey that does the podcast Lore.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. He Love puts him.
3: Out, puts out books. Now. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I pre ordered, so I just got it today, book number two, oh. and I was listening to it. And uh, um, there was a story in there. I don't want to give anything away on that, but there was basically like this one children's story that you hear, you know, and like uh, fairy tales always have like dark origins yes. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I did not realize that the dark origin of this particular story, and I won't give it away is actually to cover up the fact that the town basically was in trouble and they sold their children basically <gasps> into slavery to, oh, to no. make up the gap. <gasps> and so this is the story they came up with that covers for why there were no children in that town or whatever. But oh, what, wow. what they ended up telling the next generation that came up and stuff. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. Wow. And, and
3: I didn't know that. I knew I figured it was something dark, but I figured it was like plague or something. But it's like, no, it's like, this This was like...
2: Financial reasons. It was a
3: financial and, you know, kind of medieval governmental thing, because basically the Prussian, uh, or the Holy Roman Emperor basically was like, every village is going to give this many people. And that's what's even really shitty about it, is this like... Uh, so you can either you know volunteer to go settle in this new territory we've conquered that's in a dangerous disputed border territory with yeah, Poland, right. or uh, you can pay some money and send children who we will put to work you know settling and farming in that oh that area. My God. And it talks about like in the phone book you can actually see the surnames because they have you know this is a time when there's like writing and records. So yep. It's like you could look at the surnames and a whole bunch of these towns in eastern Poland have the same names and a whole bunch of people in that region have like the same last names as this town because basically they sent all their kids to go settle east poland oh
2: jesus wow yeah so he had two kids but with bessie a son and a daughter the son they were just like "Eh, he's not working out let's go let's uh send him to an orphanage which was super weird um and then especially at a time when like people have kids like by the dozen. I mean, it was just kind of bizarre that it was just like just the two kids, and they send the other one off, especially a son, off well, to be of, an kind Asian of a testament to
3: how little interest he had in kids. Yeah.
2: Oh god, he had no interest in being a father. And then as he's with Bessie, he ends up getting a side piece who who her name's oh my god Olivia, or it was something else, but no, it was Augusta, but um, she went by Olivia. And they start you know hanging out. And then eventually, him and his actual wife have, like, a falling out, but they're okay with it. They never get officially divorced, and then... they're
3: Catholic. They can't get...
2: Exactly. Divorced. So then... Um, so him, instead,
3: they just become polygamists, basically. <laughs> Pretty
2: much, yeah. So him, him, and Olivia are now like together, and they're touring all over the place doing shows, and they just start referring to themselves as Mister and Mrs. Robinson, and they say that they're married, and everybody's like, "Okay, that's cool." Like nobody checks it because why would you? Yeah,
3: it's not like it's the era of the internet and nobody's going right. to Google that shit. Yeah,
0: you right. know? nobody cares.
2: I mean, not like anybody Google's our marriages. You know what I mean? They yeah. probably
0: could have looked up on MySpace in that time though, right? Yeah, <laughs>
2: probably. On, on the youngster, yeah. <laughs> and Tom would be their. Tom would be. Your your friend, <laughs> so um, so then as he's with Olivia, he does. I think he ends up having, I think he does end up having one kid with her. It's possible. And but then eventually, you know, they get she gets older, and he ends up getting another side piece. But she's young, like I don't know, eighteen or something. And I don't know how old he is at this point. Probably forty something. And. He, She ends up getting pregnant, but she's all like, oh, no, I'm not going away. I'm going to be super important in your life, and you're going to help me raise this baby. And he's like, fuck. Uh Now what? And now his wife finds out, slash fake wife. But they did end up getting married, I think, which is a whole other thing. But anyway, so he's like, well, I guess i got to raise this kid. And then she finds out, you know, that he has a kid with this other woman. And then the whole, then he ends up getting shot and killed. So that's why it was super sketchy that he ends up getting shot by his wife on stage. <laughs> nice.
0: Well, the, the funny thing about it is, is that uh, the the next person that actually died from the bullet catch was known as the Black Wizard of the West. Oh, no.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I really want that to be my name, but I want to be like the White Wizard in Duel. Oh, my God. the Midwest. Um, but he was actually murdered by his wife on stage.
2: Holy shit. Oh,
0: snap. Yeah, he used wax bullets that would basically deteriorate from the heat of the gun. Oh, sure. Uh, but she switched them out for real (gasps) bullets and then basically just gunned him down live on stage.
2: God damn it. Was it because he had mistresses?
0: I didn't look into his backstory, well, but the Black back. Wizard yeah, of the it's West, good. come on. This is yeah. sketchy.
2: Yeah, super sketch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Gotta watch those magicians. <laughs> oh, my oh.
2: oh, my gosh. Oh, uh,
0: He wasn't a magician. He was a wizard. oh. Yeah. Okay. A wizard's totally different. Totally, totally different.
1: Yeah.
2: I also thought it was interesting, though, that he toured with two different um, magicians that were, like, really popular at the time before he finally went out and made a name for himself as Chung Ling Su. He
0: copied a German magician first, mm-hmm. almost his whole act. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from what I read about him, it seems like he just basically stole everybody's successful material. Yep, and- yep. And he basically died because of it. So yeah. So there's karma.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Because, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, I don't I remember the names of the two magicians. But, like, you had Harry Houdini, who was around at the time, and then... Yep. And then, so, it was like, magicians of that caliber and of that, you know, fame for the era. And he toured with one of them. They changed his name to, like, some, I don't know.
0: The first name he went by was Hop Ling Su. Yeah. And that was, like, his practicing name before he actually perfected his routine. Yep.
3: Right. In, in 1899, uh, uh, he left the, the company where he was under the German magician that he was basically stealing a lot of uh, secrets from. Let, left that and uh, stole another idea and set up on his own. He reinvented himself as Hopling or Hop Sing Lu, a Chinese-speaking magician. He shaved his mustache and his hairline and donned a wig with a long braid in the back. He also used grease paint to change his skin tone and purchased a costume from Chinatown.
2: <laughs> that's, that's dedication. His wife even, well, fake wife, even uh, dressed the same way, too.
3: Oh, yeah, it, right here. Path added to the deception by becoming a Chinese princess. And Robinson hired a real Chinese juggler, Fee Lung, to round out the performance.
0: Mm-hmm. I was wondering, what is he going to do? Like, oh, hi, Ro, these are my white
3: kids. Oh, oh God. <laughs> oh,
2: that's so inappropriate. <laughs>
3: oh, so... Uh, Eventually Robinson got an invitation from a manager, Ike Rose, in France, to bring Hopling Su or Hop Sing Lu, sorry, and his troupe to, to Europe. Robinson sold his uh, Leviathan Illusion and collection of books to help finance the trip. In March of nineteen hundred, Hop Sing Lu appeared on the stage for the first time and the show was a disaster. Lu's magic was slow and deliberate and the trick involving uh, a large bowl of water went to Rye, which totally makes me think that's what they were going for in, uh, once again, in the prestige. (laughs) Because that's the trick he's doing on stage, is one with a giant bowl of water that he was carrying yeah, between his legs the whole time. Uh, Oh my gosh. So yeah. So the water went to Rye and it was sent cascading into the orchestra pit and drenching all of the musicians and their instruments.
2: Oh, Jesus.
3: Despite <laughs> the opening night mishap, Rose managed to convince the theater owner to keep Hop Sing Lu on the bill for the contracted week, deducting damages to the theater from his salary. That's fair. Robinson settled into the role and refined the illusions, and he felt more confident as Hop Sing Lu than he had ever had as it himself. Uh, the next stop on his tour was London, uh, they made one major change, change to his act. Uh, he hated The uh, uh, the biggest thing he changed was that he hated the name Hop Sing Lu and insisted that Robinson change it. This was uh, uh, someone in London here. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So he changed it to Ching Er. Okay, so Ching Ling Fu, the actual real Chinese magician who we're going to get into the whole oh, yeah, library yeah. and backstory mm-hmm. there, was gaining popularity in America at the time. Since Robinson was already appropriating fu's character by a couple of tricks why not go all the way and imitate his name so robinson became chung ling su <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> yeah and path became su Sween uh let's see yeah there was virtually nothing in su's act that was authentically chinese since su as he was known to the press didn't speak english even talking to the press was another gimmick. A reporter would ask Feng, or Li Fi Lung a question, which he would repeat to Su in actual Chinese. Su would respond in Chinese-sounding gibberish, which uh Fi lung would translate back into english <laughs> so this must be for, before he's got the japanese translator because that's the one that, that blew me the away was just like oh sure so literally there's like three different languages going on there but no right. one can tell right so
0: i want to know what went on behind the curtain because if some dude was just like answering for me all the time and like misspoke but not able to correct him mm-hmm. like that pissed me off Discipline, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Discipline, i think
2: they i think you would probably rehearse your answers. And, like, kind of already know what your answers are going to
0: be. Right. Yeah.
2: Because in order to successfully pull it off without, without Chung, without, basically without William Robinson being like, <coughs> you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So even
3: though fellow magicians and other performers knew that Robinson was Chung Ling Su, uh, the public embraced his talent and accepted the guys along with it. Su became such a crowd pleaser that soon he was earning $5,000 a week with bookings two years in advance. Dang.
1: $5,000 a week my life in is, like yeah.
3: nineteen Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, absolutely. That's just like podcasting, it's all about the, you know, the yeah. exotic cars and uh, <laughs> world travel. Yeah,
0: that's why you have this big stripper pole in here right now. Exactly.
3: Yeah.
2: Why would that be elaborate? Well, I mean, the,
0: the pole isn't. It's who's on it. It's <laughs> it's all the women that just flood through this.
3: Yes, podcast. but that's, that's the thing. Bit. When you're a podcaster, is that members of the opposite sex just constantly throw themselves at you? They can't yeah. help it. Yeah. But
0: Even in some of the same sex.
3: Yeah.
2: But that doesn't. So that gives you an establishment of, Success. like, of, of wealth? <laughs> is to have a stripper pole and women throwing themselves at you? Yeah. Why not just, like, nice things and paid off student loans?
3: Well, in real life, that's what it would be. Oh, okay, okay. We're, we're, do- we're doing a bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is that's that a, veil that of so the magician. I, I, gotcha. I'm very boring. If, if, I, if I was, you know, super rich, I'd just be probably sitting in the same place where I am right now, and it would just be like better shoes oh these shoes are comfy
0: i'm gonna pay my internet bill for a year so i just don't have to think about it
3: yeah i want, to,
2: I want a nice used car and a reasonable sized house yeah. i want
3: a certified pre-owned <laughs> yes.
2: there you go now we're thinking now we're talking we're moving on up <laughs> that's Aww. something that my friend and i always talked about we always said like if we were to get really rich we wouldn't like be extravagant, we just be like moderately above where we are. You know, because we
3: all say that. If one of us does get rich, we're going to be the one like in the like hover car. And, I, was uh, say, I
2: don't know. I don't living
0: think so. in a trailer park with a Lamborghini. Yeah, I guess I can't
2: even say that. I can't say that. I guess we'll find out. You know, I'm
0: very humble. Look where I live, but look at your car.
2: It's a Lambo.
0: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make it over the speed bump.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I live in it. Yeah, pretty
1: much.
0: Oh. Okay,
3: so...
2: So the $5,000 a week is what he's making, which is, like, a lot of money in that time. Even now? Well, yeah, even now.
3: So, okay, here, here it is. Like, after that... Uh, his troop grew to 14 people including a new juggler stage manager named Frank Kamataro who was Japanese and he was the one who did the oh. he spoke Japanese and English but not Chinese so during interviews he would translate for Sue in his own vision in his own version of what a Japanese person thinks Chinese sounds oh,
2: like Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. Which
3: which they said sounded very, very different from the fake Chinese his boss was speaking. (laughs) None of the reporters seemed to notice, as nothing was ever written about it.
2: Well, it's interesting that uh, he was able to kind of fake Chinese when he had his Chinese "quote unquote" translator, because like the words would be very similar, you know, the same similar kind of dialect. But then when you get into Japanese, it's like he's still faking the Chinese, and the other guy's like, "I don't know." This is close enough.
3: That just, yeah, this guy, crazy. Okay, so in, you know, then the conflict begins. In 1904, Ching Ling Fu, keep in mind the real one, began a European tour in London and he was getting limited bookings because <gasps> Sue's act had kind of sucked up all the money. And that was, well, he's the real one. And so oh. he, had, he had, you know, booked up for two years and everyone's like, no, we, we've seen the real Chinese magician. Oh, God. And so Fu challenged Sue to a duel of magic, which is something at a Hogwarts, to prove who <laughs> is the real Chinese illusionist. Fu set the terms. Now, Foo's the real guy. Yep. I, no, I'm reminding myself, because it's oh. hard to keep track of He He would win if Sue failed to do 10 out of 20 of Foo's tricks, and if he failed any one of Sue's illusions. Robinson accepted the challenge. Robinson knew that losing would cost him his career, so he solicited the help of an old friend for an ace-in-the-hole trick. Magician Harry Houdini agreed to teach Robertson one of his best illusions. I wish the article went into more depth about that, because I want to hear more about, like, how did they meet? And how. Yeah, they... right. It's just like, you know, I'm sure it's a, you know, magic is an industry, like anything else. You meet yeah. the people in it, and you cross paths, and you network, you know, even pre-LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one day on the day. Okay, of the event.
0: so it took me a minute to figure out. You said pre-LinkedIn. Yeah. I thought that was another Chinese guy we were talking about. Oh Jesus <laughs> I was like, who's this guy? Awesome.
3: <laughs> that is awesome. I wanted
2: to give you an LOL at that point, but I was like, no, I'll let the audience do an LOL, because that was good.
3: Nice. <laughs> on the day of the event, Sue and his entourage arrived in pompous splendor. Small audience consisted of theater managers who were the judges, reporters, and Harry Houdini himself. After waiting half an hour for his competitor to show up, Sue entertained the crowd with ten successive tricks and was pronounced the winner.
2: Cause Foo didn't even show up. Yeah, which I'd like to know more about that story too. I think he might have been who like hoodwinked or whatever, like
3: <laughs> maybe maybe was maybe yeah. was tricked or maybe it was another. Uh, European guy pretending to be a Chinese guy and he's like ah crap he's onto me <laughs> yeah right like well I
2: can't really do this
3: it's that first German guy he copied that supposedly yeah. died mm-hmm. so yeah uh, from that day forward Robinson changed the publicity for his performance from the wonderful Chinese Conjurer to the original Chinese Conjurer good for him which is Travis said before the show if you put original in the name uh, <laughs> it's usually not the original it's usually not oh, sure. the original thing <laughs> sure. but Hilarious, nonetheless. So, uh, yeah, and then we get into the whole... After 20 years of being together, Robinson and PATH, both in their 40s, decided to do the right thing, so to speak, and get married in a brief civil ceremony uh, in March uh, 1906 in England.
2: Aww, so nice for them. Until...
3: Yeah. Robinson was still technically married to Bessie, although he claimed to be divorced. So his affairs made his devotion to Path dubious. One of the objects of his affairs... Okay, so this is just talking about more affairs he had beyond Path, which, you know... I'm sorry, if someone cheats on someone else for you, that's usually a good indication that they are going to in turn turn around and...
2: Do it again. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's like, what makes you special? You know what I mean? Right,
2: right. (laughs) Feel sorry
0: for the first one, the rest of them, you kind of had it coming.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. if they yeah if they knew this gets almost gets into a uh, oh I can't remember his name H.H. Holmes Mm -hmm. scenario Mm -hmm. where it's like it's got like franchises in every town of like secret families (laughs) yeah so uh, Mr. and Mrs. Robinson stay married for the good of the act and created a business partnership Path started receiving a weekly salary for being Sue soon and all of her responsibilities behind the scenes Uh, the members of the trope referred to them as Mr. and Mrs. Sue, and when Blatchford came to visit, they called her Mrs. Robinson. Jesus. (laughs) That's so confusing. I need a fucking diagram to keep track of the boss and his mistresses. (laughs) All
2: right.
3: (laughs) Wow. The family tree, just mistresses alone. Uh
2: Uh-huh.
3: Let's see. And so, Robinson got a permanent residence, built a workshop behind his house so he could test and build illusions. After two more children were born, Robinson spent more time in the workshop than he did with his family. Surprise, surprise. And so then we get to the, you know, Tarantino, this back to the beginning where we talked about him getting shot. Mm-hmm. The, the trick that ended up actually killing him. So, Chung Lee Su incorporated Herman's bullet catching trick into his own act, although he performed it very rarely. In 1918, he added it to his repertoire for a week of shows near London. On Saturday night, he was a guest in his dre- there was a guest at his dressing room while he was preparing the guns. He mentioned that he didn't feel well. While he stepped out for a moment, Sue swing got the weapons and put them on the prop table backstage. And then the stage manager called places.
2: You already know where this is going, guys. Yep.
3: Uh, the audience was thrilled that they would be seeing Sue perform the defying the bullets toward the end of the show. So at about 10:45, two volunteers from a distance marked. Uh, Marked the bullets that were to be used, and Sue and his assistants got into position. Immediately after the command to fire, Sue staggered backwards and blood started pouring out of his chest. The audience wasn't sure if this was part of the act, until Sue said in perfect English, Oh my god, something's happened, lower the curtain. The curtain dropped, and they played a newsreel. (laughs) (laughs) So... How oh, it would you stick around for that newsreel? Well, in today's news, Chung Ling Su died from... <laughs> Dateline, you're up. <laughs> Let's see. Uh,
2: oh, the humanity. Yeah, he's like screaming behind the curtain. Yeah,
3: yeah, just... Everyone's just sitting there awkwardly eating their popcorn while <laughs> <laughs> while there's like screaming behind the curtain. And you can hear the
2: news, like you can see the news clip, hear the news clip, but then you hear like his Him screaming in the background, like
3: I can't believe you shot me with a real bullet. <laughs> oh god, I'm
2: dying. Ah, <laughs> uh, ah, uh, we're morbid. Yeah, I was just
3: realizing how morbid that was that we were doing <laughs> that because it's just like, so you're like,
2: oh, I'm dying. But he really was like, he, he really was dying, legit <laughs> dying. Yeah.
3: Ah, uh, let's see. The coroner's inquest. <laughs> Uh, at the coroner's inquest path had to reveal the secret of the trick to the jury so that they could understand what happened she also had to explain the uh the triangle of her her husband and the woman he was living with after testimony by robinson and other assistants the coroner and a gun expert uh and the jury ruled sue's death an accident calling it death by misadventure which Hell yeah, I want that on my, my epitaph It's like, how did he die? Misadventure. <laughs> Flipped his vet.
0: Flipped <laughs> <What laughs> his
1: vet. Oh horse man. and carriage
0: went off a cliff and blew up. Yeah.
3: <laughs> That's, is that family guy or yeah, someone
0: on the horse?
3: Yeah, he's he's fighting the Amish and then knocks the Amish guys <laughs> so the cart explodes the horse is just looking around like oh no not now and then, and then the then horse Eve explodes, explodes. <laughs> <laughs> ah good times so that is uh mr mr and mrs robinson the uh chung lee
0: the real Husu. meet the robinsons
3: yes the meet the real meet the robinsons the original <laughs> yeah pretty much with with way way more polygamy yeah
2: way more yeah, I like this one.
3: Me too. It it is a it's an interesting story. Uh, Travis, what kind of unique perspective you have on this this whole thing. I mean, it's like, let's see. So, how much do you get into like the history of magic, like with magicians, stuff like that? Because I know you're a big Houdini fan.
0: Yeah. Um, so basically, one of the biggest things, uh, there's a saying in magic. There's somebody who does tricks, and then there's a magician. Okay. Whoa! Okay. I know, right? Uh, it gets pretty heavy.
2: Oh man, I don't even know how to think about that. Right? Okay, keep going.
0: Um, so basically, somebody who does tricks is like your typical, like you know, high school kid or whatever. Sure. Just entertains his friends here and there, and then never looks back and does it again. Uh, the magician actually knows the history and origins of everything they do, mm-hmm. even a simple like how to cut a, a playing a deck of cards. Sure. Um, they all have different names and stuff like that, and the origins of who created them. And so knowing that stuff is extremely valuable, especially when you start creating tricks, you need to credit the person who does it or you're going to get eaten alive in the magic community. Gotcha. Saying, you didn't make this, give credit where credit That's is due. That's the other thing, mm-hmm. go
3: into that a little bit, the, the magic community. Whenever you talk about it, it sounds like it is a, like an incredibly tight-knit group.
0: Yeah, it really is, and we hate each other. What? <laughs> Why? Sharky competitive. It's not so much competitive. There's
3: a lot of big egos in magic. Uh, no way. I know. Can you believe that? Like, <laughs> it's the only People place i want ever their names emblazoned on the front of a theater, like all eyes on me. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah that kind of
3: thing.
2: God, that's um, gonna suck with all the egos. It's, it's, but are you kind it's, of one of them too?
0: No, not really. <laughs> I'm pretty confident. Yeah. And pay attention to myself, and everybody else will kind of fade away. Sure. Sure. Um, but there's a lot of people out there who copy what other people are doing, Mm -hmm. and even a lot of the magic stuff that, um, creators sell, people will watch the video of teaching you how to do it, like, the mechanics of it, and then it'll teach you, like, a routine, like, the actual presentation, and that's what everybody does. So every trick is a carbon copy. So that is somebody just doing tricks. Yes. To be a magician is taking this and creating something completely new out of it, saying, like, okay, so I want to make something go from A to B. I need a bullet to go from one side of the stage to the other without actually making it go through the gun.
1: Sure.
0: Um, So I know how to do it. Now how can I disguise it?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So basically the secret is how to get the bullet out of the gun or how to get that autograph onto another bullet, basically, if somebody signs the bullet. So once you know the basic idea, it's like now the real magic is distracting and misdirecting the audience. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Um, So that's where it becomes real secretive. Like even uh, just recently, you probably seen in the news, David Copperfield was being sued because however many years ago someone tripped uh, going... Backstage, under the stage, during an illusion where the audience vanished, mm. and David Copperfield was pretty much forced to expose this illusion that he's done for 13 years to prove that he wasn't at fault.
2: Oh, I didn't uh, know anything about that.
0: Yeah, and today he was actually just awarded. He he won the trial and said the other guy was at fault and everything else. Oh
2: my god!
3: Um, so I take it he so- must have countersued for like the loss income from having to reveal the.
0: I don't know. Copperfield's pretty well set.
3: Yeah.
2: So what (laughs) happened? Like the dude owns islands. Yeah. (laughs) So what happened?
0: uh, So basically, I can't remember exactly how many years it was, but some guy went up with a group of people on stage to a a disappearing act where he makes people in the audience disappear. Sure. The veil comes up. He makes them go under the stage to a trap door, run through this hallway to the back of the stage, and then appear somewhere else. Okay. So some guy tripped in the process. Oh. And now, however many years later, he's saying that he has physical damage, he can't work, he hasn't been able to work for however many years. What? And when he comes into the courtroom, like, he comes in with, like, assistants, like, helping him walk. Are you kidding me? Um, but there's footage, like, lawyers and, like,
2: investigators, investigators and
0: stuff going out now that this trial has come to surface. Uh, videotaping him out, like, walking his dog just Someone was putting
3: on their own performance. Yeah. Exactly. Yes.
0: Um, So they're basically doing the acting as Chung Ling Su did, essentially. Right. Right. Um, Saying, yes, I'm injured. It happened because of this. And they're like, we've been doing this routine for 13 years. Like, there's no way. Like, the guy said there was construction debris down there. And he's like, no. Like, this is a 13 year act. Like, this is scripted, patterned. like nothing... Has ever happened. Right.
2: Holy cow. Wow.
0: So when Copperfield basically was forced to expose that, the magic community blew up. Yeah, I bet. Because, one, Copperfield tried to do it kind of behind closed doors a little bit, but then, like, no, this needs to be public information. So Mm -hmm. now the whole recreating process happens. Now Mm -hmm. they need to prove that it can happen without the trap door. So now... The whole next generation of magicians is going to say, I want to do the same thing, but everybody knows how to do it. Let's figure out how to do it a different way. Gotcha. Um,
3: So basically...
2: Get
0: zombie
3: David Bowie to build us a replicator.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But one of the cool things, though, that uh, Chung Ling Su actually started out doing in his career, it talks about black art illusions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really cool. It's basically like camo on steroids. Okay. Um, Under the right lighting... If you put a black surface on top of another black surface, they blend together and you never know anything is mm-hmm, on top. And that's mm-hmm. basically what it is.
2: Oh, I see. Okay.
0: So uh, imagine like a foreground and a, back, and a middle ground of the same pattern or surface. Yep. And then in between those two layers, somebody can hide mm-hmm. and reappear um, seamlessly without...
2: You're right, without knowing. where knowing. they go
0: because they don't know. It just looks like a solid wall.
2: Right, right.
0: Um, and so that's essentially probably where the next method will go, where people will actually be on stage the whole time. Just everybody thinks they disappeared. Wow. Just, audience, everybody come up here. You're gone. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I'm still here. Shut up. The audience can't see you, but they can hear you.
3: Yeah, you're mic'd. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) I'm invisible. Shut up, Louis.
0: (laughs) But yeah, so that's where the real controversy comes in, because even though, like, The tricks are essentially the same. You can't expose your method, really, without somebody stealing it because there's always people out there who are going to do that.
3: Yep. And so
0: when somebody says, oh, that's not your trick. Somebody else invented it, then it's up to you to be like, okay, do I just sit here and be quiet or do I say, no, I do it differently, prove it, this is how I do it. Um, Just because you get the same results doesn't mean it's the same trick. Gotcha. And that's where a lot of the egos and kind of arguing goes on in the magic community.
3: Can you patent a magic trick?
0: Penn and Teller are the first one well Teller is the first one to officially do it.
3: Okay.
0: Um the exact same thing Copperfield style somebody took him to court for stealing a trick or I think Teller actually took the this other person to court for stealing a trick and uh, he was the first and only magician to ever win as uh, intellectual property to Damn. owning this and had to prove like it was a like a seven year trial.
2: Ugh. and teller
0: yeah. would not back down. he's like
3: a mountain of God, I can't even imagine I just yeah,
2: but good for him, I mean, sticking to his guns and knowing like, no, you stole my art, yeah, like
3: exactly. how dare you? yeah,
2: so do do you have any like tricks like that, or do you just like what kind what style do you follow?
0: You know, I mean, there's a few things, one of the things that I really like to do when I buy a trick. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, a lot of times you'll get uh, like the special little device or whatever to help you accomplish these things. Mm-hmm. And I don't even read the instructions or the watch the tutorial. I'm like, okay, what does this do? Because it does something cool.
2: Sure, sure. Um,
0: and so then basically, it's a lot easier to create your own when you don't have a template to yeah. go off of.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but then again, there's the gray area of like, hey, I just created this. Like, no, you didn't. Somebody's doing it right over here, and I'm like, oh well is it the same way like well i'm not telling you my way then,
2: oh shoot so, so you don't know
0: you never know if you have the first original piece sure you know, sure until i go famous and doing it worldwide for 10 years then somebody comes out and be like well i've been doing that for
2: would you just would you just back down and be like all right okay fine
0: probably because if i've been doing it for 10 years it's time to retire it anyway
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can i ask how much money do you have invested in all of your tricks
0: you know, okay, so here's the trouble with magic. Not only do we talk, not talk about our methods, but even when you buy it, you don't know what you're getting. Okay. So it's like buying a, a college book saying you're going to learn how to do equations like this. And then you get it, be like, oh, I don't really want to do it that way. Sure. So then you just scrap the book and don't do anything with well, it. So then it's you tough, don't
2: count they it can't as. Can't give you a
0: preview of how it. <laughs> exactly. Ooh. So you're basically buying like blind buying all of your magic. It's like going on a blind date. Your buddy's like, no, oh. it's really good, dude. Like, it's really really good. You should you should go. And out
2: you're with like, it. this sucks.
0: Yeah. Then you're like, no, I don't want this. Go away.
2: But then you've already spent the money on it. Right. And so
0: so now you have the intellectual property in your mind. you right. Can't return.
2: But you still bought the trick. Right. So how much, so can you, so do you even know, like, how much you've spent? Oh,
0: it's a podcast epi- episode I hope my wife isn't listening to. Um. If it makes you feel
2: any better, my husband has over 4,800 DVDs in our house.
0: Okay. So <laughs> so on average, when tax purposes and whatnot, I figure about two to $3,000 a year. Okay. On just crap that I really will never use. <laughs> like it's nice because I don't mind doing it. Sure, because I like knowing all the different methods.
2: Here's why. Okay, so as as your fake wife, I'd be okay with that because you're actually performing and then making money exactly to go towards that investment. Yep, and I'm okay with that. That's the argument. You talk
3: to so Amanda money. about podcasting. Then? <laughs> <laughs> See,
1: making
0: money. <laughs> making money I'm just kidding
2: <laughs> but, that's, but that's the thing like because Dominic he wants to buy like this like thousand dollar camera and I'm like as as, as, as a second camera mm-hmm. and I'm like I would be okay with that if you were making money off of it right but he's not he's not pursuing like weddings or graduations or anything like that like he's just he just wants it so we can have it and bef- and prior to like getting the second camera he was telling me like oh if i get the second camera now i can legitimately do weddings and have them in blu-ray disc form and feel better about the product that i'm putting out so i'm like okay i'm on board for that well he gets offered this second camera and he wants to get it and i'm like okay so you're gonna do weddings he was like oh i don't want to do weddings i'm like "Ah, then (laughs) you can't get the camera that's
0: the first plug like we're gonna get you on board with this first one
2: right like you gotta be a business person about this so so i so so that's why I would be okay with what you're investing and spending. Yeah,
0: But because I have all this stuff and all this knowledge built up, I do have other magicians, some local, some distant, that do call me or message me or email me. Sure, sure. Like, hey, I'm trying to accomplish this. How can we do it? Mm-hmm. And then I'll work with them a little oh, bit nice. on that. So I have, like, the creative aspect of it. But it's also really difficult because I can't enjoy a magic show because, like, I'm so, like, I'm analyzing it the whole time.
2: That's kind of Dominic when watching horror films because he yeah. just analyzes it the whole time.
3: Yeah. So like we Graphic would, design. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Any kind of like signage or anything like that, or like logos, I'm pulling them apart with my eyes. Yeah, I can't not do it.
2: I went through that phase too when I was doing a lot of graphic design.
0: the The cool thing is, we just went to uh, watch the Illusionists Broadway show down at the Pavilion. Mm -hmm. Cool. And uh, I was I'm familiar with all of them who performed. They're big names in magic. Um, but I didn't really know what they were going to perform, oh. and so my wife and I were there watching it. And I see one of the guys uh, steal watches off three people during the show, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, uh, you know, it. you're not it. When is he going to give the watches back? But I right. can't tell anybody. And oh. then like he didn't give them back till the end of the show. Oh. And, I, and my wife like she's like he didn't take watches. Like he didn't give them back. And I'm like. I swear he took watches and then at the end he's like oh and by the way here's your watch and here's your watch I'm like oh thank god I thought I was going crazy (laughs) I'm like I'm just creating a show as I watch it
2: (laughs) you're like having a small panic attack yeah right when are they gonna reveal it oh my god
0: but then there's also times like that where like I see them do the traditional stuff like steal somebody's watch oh sure um and because I'm looking for that and I see the exact same motions and movements and misdirections and mm-hmm. then something else happens, like they stole their shoe oh,
2: which that's not yeah.
0: that's that's a poor example. Sure. But no, that, I understand
2: what you're trying yeah, to say. Yeah,
0: but then I'm like, Oh my god, how'd they get the shoe? I thought they got their watch. Oh, and I so then that. like I go home and I'm like like at the drawing board like right. this huge equation to figure out how to get somebody's shoe. The one
2: <laughs> trick that always like blew my mind was stealing the underwear. Like, that's a tricky one, because then wouldn't you have to know, like, what kind of underwear they're wearing to make them think that it's their underwear?
0: Yeah, typically the nice thing is you pick people out who just want to be on stage and be the show.
2: Oh. And then
0: they don't say anything. They just go with it.
2: Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, I,
0: my very first pickpocket routine that I did, um, I had, I'd had take out my own wallet Yeah. when I'd be leaning up against the guy, mm-hmm. and I'd hold my own wallet above the guy's head <laughs> behind him, and the audience <laughs> thought I stole the wallet. Nice. And he didn't know anything that was going on. Nice. But at the end, and then I'd pretend to put it back, and then I'd hold up, like, two $1 bills, and oh. people's laughing, like, oh he just took his money and then I'd give the guy two bucks uh, I'm like oh here you forgot this and he's like oh cool I get two bucks but the whole audience thinks that I like, just gave him mo- a,
2: gave it back <laughs> gave to him
0: yeah. yeah it's a two dollar trick and it goes extremely well <laughs>
2: that's awesome that's awesome I like that
3: very
0: cool so yeah it's pretty much all psych- uh, psychology and you know
2: manipulation yeah
0: making people think you did something that really didn't happen
2: <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah, we so we just premiered our short film, Mr. Pointy, and um, we didn't really have much for illusions in this one, but at the very end, there was a monster that appears in the closet. And um, after our short film showed, usually uh, at your, if you, when you show at a festival, you have a and a yeah. So nobody really had any questions for about the film or anything like that, which is a hundred percent normal. Like it's always like dead eyes looking at you. Like, like nobody gives a shit. So you're just like, all right, cool. Thanks. And then you like go back, and sit down. Well then as I get back to my seat, this guy taps me on his, on my shoulder. And he's like, he's like, I wanted to ask a question, but my wife didn't want me to. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> okay. Bitch. <laughs> like There goes, you know, at least one guy that wanted to ask a question. That he would was, have started a whole conversation. Right. And he was just like, what was with the monster? And I was like, oh, well, that was just the monster in the closet, like, weirdo. And I'm just, and I kind of turn back around. He goes, no, 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 no. How did you do the monster in the closet? And I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Not realizing that for some people, like, that's a huge, like, like, how do they do that? You know, like, they want to know. So, yeah. Especially,
3: you know, a small film festival crowd like that. Yes. There's a lot of people there that are, like, Aspiring filmmakers, or just like super fascinating. Oh yeah, just super fascinating. They want to dig into the like the technicals of how did you do that? Right, Uh, right, right. You
0: know, like I'm not. I like movies. I don't really know the whole process of them and stuff. But one movie that I really did like about wanting to know the technical aspect Mm -hmm. of it, which again kind of goes into magic, uh, was I think it was Birdman. Is that the one? Oh, uh, with uh, oh Kevin Bacon. Nope, no. Nope.
2: Uh, Son of a bitch. The
0: guy who played Beetlejuice. Uh,
2: Michael Keaton. Michael yes, Keaton,
0: yeah. You. But the whole thing it was uncut. Like it was a continuous Yes. that was awesome. Yes,
2: and as filmmakers, we were watching for I mean there were some cuts, but it yeah. was seamless. Like it was hard yeah. to know when there was a cut. So like if you ever like see the camera going like right in against somebody's back, that's a yeah. cut. Yep,
0: yeah, exactly. Um
2: when you see something like with a camera kind of like um, swivels into like a black area then, then yep. that's a cut the, the most amazing one though was when they went into the dressing room where there were the mirrors and you have the two actresses standing in front of the mirror and you know the camera know. is in that space yeah. you're just like what? how oh. and then we watched the behind the scenes after because we wanted to know yes. like how did they accomplish all this and it was like a fuck ton of rehearsal yeah. they built their set on a sound stage which was just the bare bones and they just ran through it oops sorry sorry listeners they just ran through it like over and over and over again with the camera guys you know going yeah. through all the moves and the motions of like of this whole routine and it was just like god that's dedication and that's just fascinating
0: yeah the, uh, the the first Star Trek movie mm-hmm. uh, I think maybe it was the second one uh, where they're actually like skydiving out of the enterprise. Oh, to, sure. to back to the Earth. Oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. um, the behind the scenes on that was I thought was really cool. Where basically it just stood on like a big mirror. Oh. and looked up and so it reflected the sky that nice. looked like they were standing yes. in the sky and then yeah. the guy just shook the camera real hard mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh my god, that's genius Like,
2: There's one, oh, so there's, a, there's an illusion in Friday the 13th, I think it's part one where, I think it's oh God, I want to say Kevin Bacon I don't know, we'll just say it is I think he's in the first one Dominic's not going to listen to this. He's a, he doesn't care. Anyway, so so he's he's laying in the bed, right? And he's asleep. And he had just, like, done it with some chick, right? And Jason hates it when people have sex. Yeah. And so he's laying there in the bed, and all of a sudden he gets an arrow straight up through his throat. And you're like, oh, God. like, And it looks real. Like, how do they do that? Well, then um, the behind the scenes is actually um, Kevin's head is just up through the bed, with just, like, his head on the pillow. Okay. And he's actually kneeling under the bed. Whereas, like, they have a body... Not a body double, but, like, a dummy. Right. Of his... The rest of his body laying on the bed. of with, And then they show... The, um... Like, the arrow going up through the throat. Through the throat and everything. And the blood and blah, 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 blah. blah. Right. So, like, that's kind of like Dominic's magic tricks. I dig it. Yeah.
3: That's cool. The, the mirror thing that... That makes one of my all-time favorite special effects was the, uh, they did that same mirror thing where the like camera should be in the shot Mm -hmm. in Terminator Two Judgment Day. Mm -hmm. There's a part where they're like fixing on him, and Arnold is sitting in a chair facing the mirror, but he has like a whole chunk of his like back of his head missing, and yet the camera should be in the shot. It's not, Mm -hmm. but you've got a perfect reflection. And what it was is they had the stunt doubles facing away oh uh, to actually working on a, a prosthetic head of arnold's
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh with the giant like you know prosthetics and stuff like that that would make no sense like how would you do that oh sure and sure. then on the other side it's not a mirror it's the actual cast oh like, reflect reflecting uh. back yeah, yeah at you oh funny uh and that that was always a trick that just blew me away because it's like no way and then they show it and it's like shit there's no they're right it's like it's either the cleanest mirror in the world or there's no mirror there right 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 right.
2: yeah god yeah we could talk about movie tricks all day oh yeah there's so many but I love it Dominic really likes it he knows like way more than I do but... but yeah horror movies are just magic tricks you do magic tricks yeah so it's all about deception
3: and illusion
0: it is I don't know what's more difficult making like a movie trick where you can like Tweak the angles and stuff, sure. I guess. Or, like, actually making it live on stage. <laughs> like...
2: Well, you can, like, invoke a certain, like, reaction just by changing the edit. Yeah. So, like, if you just edit it a certain way, then you don't know the difference. Like, I could cut away... Like, you could like... Show like a shot of me screaming, and then you cut away to something else, and all of a sudden you hear me screaming, and like you hear like, and you assume that I'm being stabbed or whatever gross thing, and your imagination actually fills in the blanks. So then there's really no special effect; it's just your brain just working overtime because you're so anxious.
3: Yeah, it's it's cool because there's a whole like, you know, there's stuff like, well, this is gonna sound really dumb and obvious, but it's like there's just amazing stuff that you can do on a live stage that you just could never translate oh, to a movie. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then, by the same token, there's stuff you could do just with editing tricks or, like, uh, 28 Days Later with their frame rate. Mm. Oh, yeah. That always fucked with me, because it's just, like, everything looks normal, but the frame rate is just a little bit lower than the human perception of... or than the threshold for humans to see movement. Yeah. And so... But it's just on that borderline, and so what they did is... So it looks... Uh, Bad Brace, you know, other than being a little washed out, everyone looks normal in that movie. So it was like
2: 23 frames per second instead of 24 frames per second?
3: It was like 20 frames per second or something like that. Whoa, really?
2: That's really slow. So
3: when people are just sitting here talking or they're just like moving along and stuff like that, when there's not an action shot going on, Mm -hmm. uh, motion is okay normal other Mm -hmm. than just a little maybe washed out. But then when the zombies attack, that's why they seemed so fast. And so, and then you get, like, a strobing effect with the light. Besides, oh. I remember the first time I saw that movie, that just scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and, and then my friend Nick, who is kind of a, a spatial genius kind of guy, yeah. designer, uh he was just like, oh, they're fucking with the frame rate. So he actually had an advanced DVD, uh, Blu-ray or whatever at the oh, time, nice. yeah. and, pulled and displayed the frame rate. And he's like, oh, look at that. And you, you know, he's just like, <laughs> just that's how they out, did it. He's like, it? "That's he's because like, your brain is perceiving it as motion, except for when someone starts to move quickly, all of a sudden your brain's like, that's not right. And it creates yeah, yeah. a whole like, uncanny... Creep factor. Oh man,
2: of that's scary. clever. That's yeah. so clever. What movie was that again?
3: Twenty eight days later. Twenty eight days
2: later. One. Okay, sure, Dominic.
3: I didn't. I didn't like the sequels, but the original one was. uh Sure,
2: sure, sure. That's awesome. And I don't
3: know about those numbers on the frame rate. I just know that it was fewer frame rates than.
2: Oh, than the normal. normal.
3: Yeah, because I I'm bad at bad at numbers, especially from a conversation <laughs> I had with someone fifteen years ago about. What that should just stick with you, man. I know. I know. But uh, yeah, so I, I don't know how we got here, but <laughs> Ch- Chung Ling Su. It's still Chun-Zi. all an illusion. It's all about illusions. Uh, so yeah, and I think with that, we will call it a night. Be sure to, uh, to follow us on Patreon and uh, to check out uh, all of our perks and offers there. Uh, also, I'll be, I'll be getting some merchandise onto the store uh, here in the next few weeks. By the time this goes out, it will probably be on the store Oh, already. awesome. And then, uh, yeah. So, dot com.
2: Oh, and I got news. Up. Oh, yes. So, okay. So, I haven't been able to say this for like the last three months and it's been killing me. But, um... So, any... So, ever since I started going into, like, my psychic work and stuff, I've always wanted to get a mentor. And I did obtain a mentor for um, a short period of time. And he's still my mentor, but more of, like, a friend at this point. But um, I really needed somebody else that was going to take me a little bit further. And so, um, a friend of mine, she was like, have you ever heard of Carmel Joy Baird? And I was like, no. No idea who that is. Well, if you look her up, she's essentially Canada's version of, like, of, like, our Teresa Caputo. And she's basically, like, Long Island Medium. Let's... She's, she's Canada's version of Long Island Medium, which is... And she has her own TV show called Moms a Medium. I'm gonna not pretend I know what that is. There you go! Which is basically just a TV... Like, a reality TV show where, um... this She's a medium. She just goes up to people and gives them readings about, you know... Cool. Their love, like You know, their loved ones that have passed away, and it's touching, and it's emotional, and everybody loves that kind of TV show. So, um... Anyways, so Carmel does all these like um, psychic development courses and mediumship development courses. And um, she was having this one course called Medium Master Class Mentorship or Ment, I forget, I forget how it's worded, but it's basically. It's a mentorship program. It's 15 months long, and um, Carmel is, like, personally teaching you throughout these 15 months. And it's, like, the most intense class that she's ever offered. She's not, she doesn't know when the next time that she's going to offer this. So it's, like, you don't, it, you know, it's basically, like, you need to jump in on this. The other, the other caveat, though, is that um, she's only accepting 10 people to this program because it's such an intense course. So my friend Christy, she's like, you need to apply. And I'm like, I don't even know who this chick is but okay, sure. Like I'll apply. So I, so it's like a three application process. So I send in my first application and it's basically questions like, are you psychic? And do you like do readings? Like, yeah, I do. And I kind of give a little bit of my, my working background. And then, um, if you get accepted past that, then you got to go to this webinar with her, with Carmel, who sh- then she explains like more about the program. So I got accepted past the first phase, which I was kind of like, that's fair. I mean, I do, I do professional readings. Like that's, that's, that's okay. So then they explain more of the program. And they're like, this is going to be very intense. This is going to be, you take up a lot of your time. If you cannot commit to this, do not apply past this phase. So then they send out the second application. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to. Because I flake out on a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, I, I do. And I'm, I'm just being honest with myself. So I'm thinking, I don't know if I should do this. And then I had it until, like, Saturday night at midnight to, um, respond. And, um, and I was like, I don't think I can. So I talked to Christy about it on a Friday afternoon and she's like, dude, you got to do this. And I was like, I don't think I should. This is, you know, thank you for, you know, showing me this, this class and and her, maybe I'll just take another one of her workshops or whatever. And Christy's like, no, dude, you need to go for it. So I'm like, all right. So, and I'm telling myself the entire time, what's the worst that could happen? I get accepted? You know, like that's kind of my mentality about this. And I talked to Dominic about it too. I was like, okay, imagine that John Carpenter was giving you a masterclass in filmmaking. Would you do whatever it was that you could to be in this? And he was like oh my God, in a heartbeat. Like, he didn't even hesitate. So I'm like, all right, that's okay. So I filled out the second application. Second application was more like, what's your day-to-day like? Do you have kids? Where are you from? What's your job? You know, kind of like those types of questions. I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. One of them was how did you hear about Carmel? And literally, my answer was, I have no idea who she is. My friend Christy told me to apply. Like, that is, like, (laughs) like, the worst thing to say on a job application. Like, you don't say, like, I don't know what McDonald's is, but my mom told me to apply. (laughs) Like, that is essentially what I said. So, um, I submitted the application on Friday night. I get a response on Monday morning, and I open up my email, and I just see that it's from her team. I'm thinking, okay. Like, maybe I can see it in, like, the subject line, like... Because I couldn't get, like, a few first few lines of the email in my inbox. So I, and I tried, and I read it, and I was like, oh, it doesn't tell me if I'm accepted or not. So I open it up, and it says, congratulations, you've been accepted to do an interview with Carmel's team. I'm like... And I'm now I'm getting kind of nervous. I'm like, okay, well, you know, just because I made it past phase two doesn't mean I'm, like, you know, in. You know, I still have to do an interview, and I could still screw that up. I mean, I could say any kind of weird things. So... I get a I get a call from her team, and they're like, okay, so Carmel wants to do an interview with you in, like, an hour from now. And I'm thinking, whoa, wasn't I supposed to have an interview with, like, her team first? And if the team liked me, then I'd be passed on to an interview with Carmel? Like, that's what they had explained. The
0: five tiers of Carmel. Yeah, it was. It was
2: pretty much, <laughs> bu- that's what it was. And they are just like, nope, she wants to meet with you right away, so can you do an interview in, like, an hour? I'm like, uh, I'm still at work right now. Can we push this out to, like, I don't know, Three and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. So, um, I get home. I'm like super nervous now. She's gonna be calling me, and, I, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. Three o'clock comes. Three o'clock goes. I'm like, oh god, it's the worst. Like when you're expecting a phone call at a certain time and it doesn't come. And then three thirty comes and three thirty goes. i was like, what is going on? Four o'clock comes. She calls. She's, I'm so sorry. I was working on this case. Blah blah blah. I'm like, oh, no problem. Like, what am I gonna say? Like you jerk. You know, like, no, obviously she was busy. So she's like, here's what I like about you. You're from South Dakota. You have some, some semi-professional reading experience. You know, you seem really grounded. You actually, you know, you have a normal job. I like that. Um, so, um, I want you to be a part of my team. And I was like, what? (laughs) I I was just like, oh, uh, she's like, well, are you interested? I'm like, um, yes, because that part of my brain was like, well, you already came this far, like, you, and you did go through with the Friday night application. You better say yes, you idiot. Mm-hmm. So I said yes, and um, then it was, like, a couple of days, or, like, the next day or a couple of days later, we get the coursework. So it was three months of intense study on, like, all the spirituality stuff. Um, just, I had to do, like, a ton of reading. Like, my first month was, like, eight books in one month Jeez. Yeah, plus like doing readings for friends and family, plus trying to work a full-time job, plus buying all the stuff that I need. The second month was like six books, and then the, th- the third month was like four books. So I was like, what the heck? Like I thought, it, like I almost thought it should get more intense, but it was actually kind of like easing up, but also increasing on the amount of readings that you're doing. So today she sent out an email saying, basically, it's go time. We're doing the full program now. And I'm like, I thought we we're supposed to start like June 1, but it's now... I guess, can I say the date? Yeah, I'll say the date. It's it's May 30th right now. So, yeah. And I get to meet her in person on June 1st because there's like a convention up there. So they sent us an email and there's this healers convention on June 1st. And she's like, and I expect to see you guys there. And it's like, well, I guess I'm going to Canada. So (laughs) that's a thing. So I got my passport, um, which came super fast. Like I applied on May 4th and I got it by May 14th. Whoa. Right? And that was expedited service, too. Like, I was I was expecting at least May 21st. Yep. So, but May 14th, I was like, I'll take it. Um, I got a flight out of Sioux Falls. Super cheap. Like, $540. Damn. Yeah. Um, and then my hotel, rental car, all that stuff. The only thing I'm nervous about is the driving in Canada. Because it's kilometers versus miles per hour. So, I think I'll be fine. I don't know. So yeah, They'll so so that's so that's kind of my journey. So if you ever if you want to get readings with me, please hit me up on Facebook. I will be happy to. Um, and if you get me now, my rates are definitely gonna be cheaper now because a year from now they won't be. So get in while it's good. <laughs> yeah. There you go
3: Get in on the psychic ground floor
2: before Yeah it get on better. the ground floor before I get well, I mean I'll get better but I mean like Before and, I get more expensive and I, would,
3: I would like to uh, point out that uh, something that our, our Listeners wouldn't be aware of is that uh, Every night when we, we start one of these shows Travis always appears in a puff of smoke <laughs> yes. wearing a top hat and a cape It's true And uh airy, uh She The whole show, she hovers like several (laughs) inches off of the surface of the couch. I am
2: so fucking zen.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And with that, have a good night, everyone. (laughs) We'll see you next week.
1: Macabre Grimoire is a production of the SiouxEmpire.com. Learn more at macabregrimoire.com.